Good morning. Did you all have a good Thanksgiving? We had a great Thanksgiving. Some friends invited us over and uh, this family where we went. Apparently they have this tradition where all of the men gather around in a circle right before the meal is served, right before prayer and the meal is served, and they all pull off uh, uh, some meat from the neck of the turkey, and they all eat some of the turkey neck. Uh, have you ever heard of this? No, I hadn't either. Uh, and so they invite me to do this. And I said, man, I haven't eaten meat in 14 years. And so they, they broke tradition for me and my five-year-old daughter wanted some. So they let her take my place in the circle of men and uh, bite some turkey neck. So there you have it. Uh, if you need a new Thanksgiving tradition in your home, that just might be it, turkey neck. Uh, so this morning, we're going to talk again about forgiveness and wrap up this series on forgiveness. And then next week, we will start an Advent series. So let's pray together and we will jump in. God, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your presence. Thank you for the knowledge that you are here and you love us. God, as we continue to explore forgiveness this morning, we acknowledge that we are people who are forgiven. And it's sheer grace that forgiveness costs something. And it's painful. And so this morning, God, I pray that you would give us the courage and your grace to forgive where we haven't forgiven and to be able to truly bless. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, we've talked about forgiveness a, a number of weeks ago when we looked at the parable of the unmerciful servant and then last week and then again this week. And I'm going to put a slide up that I've put up all three times because... <coughs> I think it's really important to remember this, and so I think it bears repeating once again around what forgiveness is not. It's not accepting unacceptable behavior. It's not giving a free pass, and it does not necessarily include reconciliation. And so, by God's grace, when we are able to come to a place of forgiving those who have wronged us, and especially when you think about those who have deeply wronged you, when you've been seriously hurt by someone. Uh, forgiving them is not saying what they did was okay. And if you have been deeply, deeply wronged, if there's some type of abuse, whether sexual abuse or physical abuse or, or deep emotional abuse or just deeply, deeply wronged, betrayed, uh, forgiveness does not necessarily mean reconciliation. Reconciliation is the goal of forgiveness, but in some instances in this life, reconciliation just is not possible, and it wouldn't be healthy for you to just jump right back into that relationship. So I think that bears repeating what forgiveness is not, so that we can again explore what forgiveness is and how we enter into more fully this journey of forgiveness that God invites us into. Uh, I want to start with Jesus and his thinking on the cross. One of his final words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Uh, 
Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. God, Jesus has been beaten. He's been betrayed. He's been abandoned by all his disciples, minus three women, and John's kind of floating around. But the other disciples have all run away. Uh, he's been beaten by Roman guards. He's been uh, turned over to the Roman authorities by his own religious leaders. And now he's on the cross. And what is on his mind when he's on the cross is forgiveness. And this is uh, just completely paradoxical to human nature, to our way of thinking when we've been deeply wronged and deeply betrayed and deeply hurt. Uh, often what happens if we are offended, we, we can think of how, how do I offend back? We've been hurt, how do I hurt back? And what it becomes is like this, this tennis match back and forth. Last week we talked about revenge and the myth of redemptive violence and how we think if I hurt them back, then I'll feel better. And we never feel better. And so when it becomes a tennis match back and forth, it's like this unending volley that no one ever wins. It just keeps going back and forth back and forth. It's like hand, uh, someone handed you something that deeply hurt you, and, and you have to decide, what am I going to do with this thing? And often what we do is we hand it back with some type of explosive in it, uh, and, and it just escalates and goes back and forth, back and forth. And so I believe Jesus is inviting us into uh, a process into a way of being human, into a way of life that is forgiving, that's central to the way of Jesus, is being able to process deep hurt and pain and to release it back to God and to release that person. Uh, we talked about when we harbor resentment, when we harbor unforgiveness towards another, what happens is we think we're holding them, but really what's happening is we are holding ourselves in a type of bondage, in a type of prison. And when we forgive, we are not only releasing that person, but we discover that we are released and we discover freedom and new life. And uh, I've been talking about um, the process of forgiveness, when someone has deeply hurt you, when someone has deeply wronged you, what it looks like to forgive that person. And last week after the service, uh, Anne-Marie shared with me a, a little bit of her own story and her own process of forgiving, and she just had some really helpful things to say around, especially if someone's deeply hurt you, they've probably done it over and over. It, it wasn't maybe just a one-time event, it might have been a number of things that happened. And she was talking about, as those things come to mind, I need to forgive that thing that that person did. And then I need to forgive the next thing. And so I asked Anne-Marie if she would come and share a little bit of her own story and uh, what her process has looked like. Because uh, when I heard her story, uh, it connected deeply with me, and I think it'll connect deeply with your own story as we all continue to explore this. So, Anne-Marie, please welcome Anne-Marie. Hi. Deep breath. Um, 
So I'll just give you a little bit of background. I've been coming to this church, I guess, since about 2010, maybe. And um, in 2011, it was kind of a big year, 2011 and 2012, um, I had been married for about 19 years. And um, my husband came up to me actually two days after Christmas and um, told me that he wanted a divorce. And I was shocked. It just totally um, devastated my world. I was reeling. We had at the time two children in high school, a junior and a senior that a lot of you know, Jake and Bryn. And um, I was devastated. And um, I found out shortly after there was someone else and that was part of the motivation behind it. And my world was reeling. I decided to um, try and find some Christian counseling. At first, I was like trying to find counseling we could go together because I was convinced that we could solve our problems. And um, I found First Prez in Berkeley has a Christian counseling center. And so I went over there. And um, my ex-husband, Dan, um, never would agree to go with me or anything. But I went myself, and I found it was really helpful. And through that, I got connected to this program that they have, which is called Divorce Recovery. And that's where um, what Matt mentioned, uh, I kind of was exposed to that principle. Someone was sharing who had been through some really, really hard things. And that's what they said. They said, like, when someone asks you for forgiveness, to give blanket forgiveness when someone's hurt you deeply can really almost feel insincere because you're trying to move forward, but it doesn't resonate with your heart at all. And so to try and um, move in that direction feels really hard. So this person had shared that, and they said, um, their words were, as God brings to mind things that I can forgive, I will do that. And it was really powerful to me, and I thought about it a little bit, and um, shortly thereafter, this was about six months out, Dan came to me and said, can you forgive me? And the way he said it, personally, I felt was kind of glib, and um, you know, shortly after that, he told me, okay, there's a baby on the way, and you know, he had moved in with his girlfriend and stuff like that. And I just felt really empowered to be able to say those words and to be able to say, as God brings to mind things that I can forgive, I will. And I said it, and then I kind of let it go at that, like, oh, phew, I made it through that, but I didn't really go through the process of actually forgiving. But um, slowly, I was able to do that. Um, an example, one of the things that really, you know, kind of hurt me so deeply was kind of the loss of control I felt in this whole situation. We had been living in Canada for um, quite a while. And um, yeah, let's see, we had lived in Canada for 19 years and we had been married almost 25. I can't remember if I said that right. But um, because we had moved here, he moved here ahead of us. Like, so he got a job out here and then we moved. I'm American, but he's Canadian. And um, he set up all our financial stuff. And then we moved once we found, okay, the job's for sure. Then we moved out here. So when he left, I went to um, just like kind of set things up and I realized I had no credit rating at all because I had been out of the country for so long and it just, it just was incredibly um, like 
I felt like I had no power over anything. So I'd go to find an apartment. I couldn't get an apartment because I had no credit rating. I ended up having to put down like almost double the normal deposit. I had to get a $3,000 loan so that I could pay off the cars and I couldn't get a $3,000 loan. I was 47 years old and had been working all my life, you know, had owned a home in Canada, partially whatever, a small bit of a house anyway. But um, yeah, it was so frustrating to me. And um, so that was one of the things that like eventually when I was like, okay, I'm gonna start working through things, I was able to say, okay, this is a place to start. This it was kind of a little bit, I was back on my feet again, but it was like, this maybe wasn't intentional. Okay, God, I forgive Dan for that, for not putting my name on those credit rating applications or whatever when he moved to the country. And that was kind of like a start for that. But they likened it in our divorce recovery class. They kind of, the person who was sharing said it's almost like a refrigerator. Like, you know, when your fridge gets really bad and you open it up and there's just like everything smells and you haven't cleaned it out for a really long time. Hopefully it doesn't get to that point too often. But when you open it up, you just want to shut that door because it smells so bad inside. But if you have the courage to take one thing out and you open it up, you look at it, try and figure out what it is, get rid of it. Next time you open the fridge door, it might still feel, smell just as bad, but um, you take one more thing out. You kind of investigate it, look at it, decide what it is, get rid of it. Um, slowly, after a while, when you open that fridge, it actually doesn't smell so bad. And that's like for our hearts, our hearts are like that. And um, I've been talking about my divorce, but I know like for us, there's just so many things that come up, whether it's like, you know, issues with siblings or with parents or with friends or that business partner or that teacher or that parent or whatever. Um, you know, there's, there's so many things that can come up. And I even found with my own mom that being able to um, kind of work through the sort of the same thing where I found I like had some anger towards my mom about maybe imperfections she had when I was growing up and just feeling like, I needed to deal with that and realizing there was still some anger there and just doing the same, the same thing with that was um, important for me. Um, we were at the Lenahan's one day for an open table. Um, it was like a ladies gathering at, um, after church. And this was maybe two years ago. And we were sitting around a table and Abby was sharing about something. So Abby isn't here this morning, but I talked to her and told her I was gonna share this little story, but um, you know, we were talking, she was talking about her situation with her ex-husband, and it's very similar situation in some ways, very different in some ways as well. But she was sharing um, about how she had decided to move on from just like kind of mere um, forgiveness maybe, or just tolerance to kind of the idea of reconciliation that she had been challenged and felt it was important like for her son Cohen's sake and also for the sake of her faith to move forward and to move into relationship, friendship with her ex. And she was sharing that and my inside was like, like how is that possible? And, um, but it was inspiring to me and what it did for me was it made me look at like at that two years ago, you know, some time had passed, I felt like I was in a good place. Um, and it inspired me to kind of look a little deeper and say, okay, what still is there that's unforgiving, unforgiven, I guess. And uh, 
you know, I remember when I was at the divorce recovery group, someone said to me, like, at some point in your life, you will be able to look at that person who's wounded you so deeply and you will just feel nothing. Like you won't feel hurt, you won't feel anger, you won't feel like bursting into tears, you won't feel like your heart's ripping open. And at the time I'm like, no, that is never gonna happen to me. I am always gonna feel this. And um, just to be able to like move forward and my son Jake got married last year in January and to be able to be in the same room and to talk and whatever and actually feel not completely neutral but like almost that neutrality I knew that God had been working and that things had been turned over so that felt really good and the other thing that I wanted to say too and anybody who's been in the situation where you have had some deep wounds is that it's it's very easy to let that become your story and let that become your identity. And I mean, even we saw a little bit of that with Samson last week where it's like, but look what they did to me. And then you kind of retell it. And in the retelling, every time you tell it, it gains power in some ways. I mean, it also can be healing because you need to share with some people what's happened. But um, that for me was also a challenge to kind of like, let myself slowly let go of that as an ident identity to be that person who was wounded and um, to kind of move forward and like reclaim the identities of my life that were really important to me, like friend and sister and mother and teacher and wife. I, I end up getting remarried to that wonderful man back there. Um, uh, but, you know, to be able to move past that point of having to retell that story. And I met some people that used to go to this church years ago and Tim and I were in a grocery store and ran into them and um, I could see the look in their eyes like why are you with a different person you know and I hadn't seen them and um, had contact with them and I just kind of like let in my spirit like part of me was like I just wanted to tell my injustice one more time and then I was like no that's over I don't need to do that anymore so um, I think to me it was kind of a combination of decisions, but I would say the decision was always couched around what I was ready for, like to make a decision like, I'm going to forgive that person until I was ready was really hard. It had to be those small steps of moving forward. So I wanted to share one verse that was really important to me. And this was one of those verses where you kind of feel like God's talking to you. I had um, had this verse in a um, Bible study I was doing, and when I read it, it really jumped out to me. And then about three or four weeks later, um, Matt was preaching in church, and it was the same exact verse, and it's kind of an obscure one from Ezekiel, and it just was like, and it, it caught my attention, and it felt like, you know, my heart started beating like, God, you're talking to me. Um, but this is from Ezekiel, and God was dealing with how unfaithful the Israelites had been. And um, he says to them through Ezekiel, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And I just thought, how beautiful, because I need a new heart, because, you know, I just had that hardened heart that needed um, that anger broken down. And I thought it was so neat that it was tied in with that verse is the idea of 
God will also move us to follow his decrees. So it's kind of like he does the new creating in our hearts, but then he also moves us to kind of let things go and obey when I think when we're ready. So that is what I wanted to share. Great story. Uh, so it's so important, I think, to, to see forgiveness as a process and this capacity to name the wrongs and to release those wrongs one at a time, as Anne said, as God brings them to mind. Maybe the first step for you is that you're no longer uh, contemplating their death in your mind. Uh, that might be your first step. Uh, and it moves from there to be a being able to release things one at a time as God brings them to mind. Uh, I think a significant question for us when it comes to forgiveness is what will I do with this pain? What will I do with this pain? Uh, because I, I, I don't think we can separate forgiveness from the pain because to forgive is painful. Uh, notice this quote from Tim Keller. He says, forgiveness means refusing to let them pay for what they did. To refrain from lashing out when everything in you wants to is a form of agony. It is a form of suffering. Next slide. You are absorbing the debt. You are taking the cost of it completely on yourself rather than taking it out on the other person. It hurts terribly. Many people would say it feels like a kind of death. Yes, but it is a death that leads to resurrection instead of the lifelong living death of bitterness and cynicism. Forgiveness always comes at a cost to the one granting the forgiveness. And so when you think about the pain, the hurt, the wrong that was delivered to you, uh, the question we have to wrestle with is what will I do with that pain? Will I hand it back? Will I throw it back at them? Or will I wrestle deeply with it? Because friends, it mattered. So forgiveness is not saying it didn't matter. It mattered. And it's naming that pain naming that hurt, naming the suffering of it, and being willing to suffer the forgiveness of it. Because forgiving hurts, and it always costs us when we say yes to forgiveness. We have to absorb that pain, and then when we absorb it and hand it to Jesus, he transforms it. This is a part of the paradox of the gospel, is that somehow, when we allow Jesus to take that pain and when we say yes to forgiveness, something transformational happens. And death always leads to resurrection. Uh, if we don't wrestle with the pain, if we don't dig deep into our own stories and recognize the hurts and the wrongs that have been committed against us, then that, that pain is gonna be transferred rather than transformed. And so maybe the question is, what will I do with my pain? Will I transfer it or will I allow it to be transformed? Because when we don't wrestle with the pain and when we are unwilling to forgive, 
then it will be transferred. It will affect us deeply and it'll affect those around us deeply. Because when something happens to you at work, when you're wronged in the workplace and you feel like you can't wrestle with it there or you're unwilling to forgive it there and you come home, what happens? Does, does it get taken out on your family? Does it get taken out on others? Uh, when we don't wrestle with the pain, it will get taken out in some way. It will be transferred in some capacity. And so we have to wrestle with the pain and say yes to the transformation and no to transferring it. Uh, th think about times when you get angry or frustrated or you see others get angry or frustrated, because I'm sure you don't. Uh, when, when you see others get angry or frustrated in a disproportionate way. So you're driving on the 101 and you get cut off. Or you're in the grocery store and the person won't get out of your way. Uh, they're blocking the aisle. Uh, like what rises up within you? I, I would argue that road rage, that the anger there is not about the other driver. It's something else going on inside. And it's being transferred to the other driver. Uh, I was at the gas station a few months ago pumping gas and there was a gal at another pump pumping gas and this, uh, this gal drove up and she starts honking her horn and screaming at the lady who's pumping her gas, yelling at her for not pulling forward to the other pump. And so this gal who's pumping her gas just clicks it, gets in her car and closes the door. And so I'm standing there and I'm stupid. So I start talking with this lady, this irrational woman screaming. I'm like, why are you so angry? She, you know, and she's just pumping her gas. She should have pulled up. And I, so I start trying to reason with her. I said, how do you know that there wasn't another car there? Uh, she said, I was at the light when she pulled up. I saw her. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And I keep trying to talk to her and then she just speeds off. Uh, so I probably should have just let it go. But <laughs> thinking about it, I was like, oh my goodness, th this woman, she's not angry about the pump. She's not angry at that woman. There, there's something else going on and it just got transferred to that woman and she's gonna go home and it's gonna get transferred to her kids. It, unless we wrestle with the pain, it's gonna come out in some capacity. And I believe Jesus invites us to wrestle with the pain and deal with it and release the pain to him. Uh, let's look at the next slide. I just find this quote by Parker Palmer so powerful. He says, the cross says the pain stops here. The way of the cross is a way of absorbing pain, not passing it on. A way that transforms pain from destructive impulse to creative power. And so, it, just like the woman at the pump, it, it transferred into destructive impulse rather than creative power. Uh, I believe Jesus invites us to allow the pain to be transformed so that we can experience creative power. 
when we're living in the pain and are unable to release the pain, unable to forgive, we cannot live out of the creative power that God created us for. There is something being held back. There is something being blocked. It's like, it's like uh, God has created us with an open window to the soul and we have bit by bit blocked up that window. And the invitation from Jesus is to destroy the blocks, to tear down the blocks, allow the window to be open again so that people can see us for who we are and so we can see others for who they are. When, when you have been deeply hurt by someone, I guarantee they're transferring pain. And if by God's grace you can see, oh, they're hurting. Doesn't justify what they did. It's not a free pass, but it's waking up to the pain all around us. When someone lashes out at you, when someone offends you, when someone hurts you, there is deep pain within that person that they have not dealt with, that they are transferring to you. And you now have the choice. What will I do with the pain that was just transferred to me? Will I absorb it and allow it to be transformed into something beautiful and new? Or will I then transfer it back to that person or to someone else? This is hard, hard work, friends. Uh, and when Jesus says, Father, forgive them, it, it's this word in the Greek, aphimi, and it means to send away. Jesus is saying, Father, what they do, send it away. Send it away. And if we are invited to forgive as God forgives us, the invitation is to send it away. To ra rather than transfer it back, rather than you've been handed an offense and you're going to hand it back, instead, you take that offense and you send it away to the cross and allow Jesus to absorb it and transform your pain into something new and beautiful and glorious. Somehow, mysteriously, it is through suffering, it is through pain, it is through these death experiences that God creates something new. And I believe he's always doing it. It's not a one-time event. He's always inviting us to send it away, experience the death of it, the pain of it, the suffering of it, and to find new life and a new day and new hope. Each day, Jesus gives us this invitation to send it away. And so this morning, as we come and take the bread and dip it in the cup, I, I want to invite you this morning. A few weeks ago, uh, you wrote names. Uh, you wrote a name of someone you knew you needed to forgive. Or I said, if you're unable to write a name, if you're not at a place where you're able to forgive that person, uh, simply write, I'm forgiven. Help me forgive. Uh, and I, 
I think this morning what I would like to do uh, with Anne Marie's leadership and her idea, perhaps there's an offense. It may be the beginning of forgiveness towards a person who deeply hurt you is just naming one of the offenses and saying, God, help me forgive when this person lied to me. Help me forgive when this person, and, and maybe you need to be really specific. Maybe today or when you have some space, you need to get away for a little while and you just need to write it all out. Be really specific about what happened to you so that you can get it all out. Maybe you need to find someone you trust who's a confidant and share that with them and just get it out. And then maybe you need to bury it or burn it or somehow send it away and release it to God and ask God, God, I long for you to transform this pain into something beautiful and new rather than to transfer it. God, help me release the transference of pain and instead receive your invitation to transform pain, which will bring glorious new life. Uh, so this morning, as you take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup, uh, if you want in your program, there's a blank page in there, uh, maybe rip it out and just write something that you know you need to forgive and uh, leave it here at the Lord's table. And maybe you, you need to take your time and maybe you're not ready. Maybe again for you this morning, it's simply saying, I'm forgiven, help me forgive. Uh, I believe deep in my bones that a part of the gift of the gospel is extending to others what has been extended to us from God. And a huge part of that is forgiveness. And, and so somehow by God's grace, God gives us the capacity to extend forgiveness to others as forgiveness has been extended to us. God, this is tough work for, for many who have been deeply, deeply hurt. And so, God, I, I pray that your grace would flow in abundance this morning. God, that you would continue to show us the way of forgiveness. The wrongs that have been committed against us, the, the weight that so many have been carrying, God, I pray that you would help each person in this room to send that weight away, to send the offense away, and allow the pain to be transformed by your grace. As we take the bread and dip it in the cup, may we remember that on the cross you forgave, that in the midst of betrayal and abandonment, harm and abuse, what was on the mind of Jesus was forgiveness. As a people who follow Jesus, pray that you would impress forgiveness on our minds and on our hearts. That as offenses come to mind, God, that we would release them to you, we would send them away and allow transformation to take place. 
Give us the courage. Give us the grace. Give us the mercy. Give us your love and abundance. In the name of the one who loves and forgives all offenses. Jesus. Thank you.